We're in our story time series, and, and uh, we're glad that you're here. Um, I, I want you to just dig in and dial in. This is not one of the easy sermons to preach. Um, I, I will say this. In the first service, we stopped at the very beginning and saw two people accept Christ, and what an awesome moment that was. From that moment forward, it felt like a major battle, all right? So we know God was moving. We know decisions were made, but I'm going to tell you this, like, I want you to be open today and, and, and ask God to just give you clarity to receive what we're going to talk about because we're going to go a little anti-cultural here in what we're talking. And what I mean by anti-culture is this, all right? So the world has one way of believing and one way of doing things. God has another way of believing and another way of doing things. Agree or disagree? Would you agree with me that most of what the world does today is opposite of the way God is today? How many of you say that? Say yes, right? All right, it's there. So the thing is, is when we say anti-culture, that's literally talking about God. God is anti-culture. Culture wants to do it their own way and make it about themselves and make it about how we feel. And if it feels good, do it. Be whatever you can be and all this. God says, hey, there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's only one way to have stability, and that's through my word. There's only one way to be safe, and that's in my will. And so God says, hey, listen, all this is not the way that it should be. And so I think in our world, if we're not careful, most of the things that are happening, we look and we're like, look at what God is doing. And God really isn't doing any of that because his will is anti-cultural. All right. So get that in your mind. Matter of fact, we said this, I'll say it again. If the majority is going one way and you're with them, you're probably in the wrong because the majority is not going towards Christ. The majority is going away from Christ. Matter of fact, how many of you've heard this verse? Broad is the path that leads to destruction. And how many travelers are on that? Many. Narrow is the path that leads to righteousness and very few travel that. So in, in other words, we're, we're seeing this. God's really illustrating that most of the world is running from God and there are those that are running to God. That's you today. You're here, right? Maybe you were dragged here and you're like, that's not me. I was dragged here. Well, the cool thing is dragged or willing, God still loves you the same and is going to speak to you no matter what. And, 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 and that's the beauty of who he is. But most of you that are here today are, are hopefully on that narrow path as you're seeking God. How many of you found that the narrow path, sometimes you bump into the wall, sometimes you get knocked down, sometimes, you know, the, the enemy comes against you. I've often said this, you know, broad is a path that leads to destruction, narrow is the path that leads to righteousness, and few travel it. I don't think it's two different roads. I think you're on one road, you turn around, and God takes you back the other direction, because the, the reality is um, that God wants you to reach people. So let me, let me illustrate that real quick. Come back up. Hey, do you mind? Come back up. Trey, you want to help me real quick? Rachel, you want to help me real quick? Do you want to be a volunteer? You're on the front row. I mean, that's like straight up. I want to be spit on or volunteered. All right. So that's it. All right. So you might get both. All right. So here we go. Stay, stay here. Let's say this and, and follow with me. You ready? Um, y'all come behind me. Let's walk together. So in, in life, this is the visual that I have in my head of this verse. Like broad is the way of destruction. We're all on this path as we start. Agree or disagree? You're born into a sinful world with a sinful nature. Whether you want to admit it or not, that's who we are. So walk with me, people. All right. So here we all right, here we go. We're, we're on this path. All of a sudden, God gets a hold of my life, and God convicts my life, and I realize I need Jesus, and God changes me. Now, is my direction going to go the same way? No, repentance means opposite away from. And so the moment that I receive Jesus Christ, and I turn opposite away from, guess what I'm, what am I face to face with? The rest of the world. And I believe that some Christians believe that narrows the path to righteousness, and they're like, See ya. God's put me over here. I'm better than you. And I'm going to walk my own route. And wow, y'all, good luck. Hope you find Jesus too. 
But I don't believe that's how God works. I believe that God rescues you and then positions you, all right? And so it's like this, we're broad, we're walking, and all of a sudden God changes my life, and now my path has to go back through the world. Now my path to God is gonna come in contact with people, and it shouldn't be a, ooh, I need to dodge you, and I need to miss you, and oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It should be a, hey, you're going the wrong way. Like, this isn't the way that God wants us to live. That's not the way that God wants us to go. The end of that results in a a, a separation from God for eternity. So my job is to maybe rescue as many as I can along the way and say, this is the way, this is the way. Now, are people going to reject me? Yes. Are we going to bump shoulders at times? Yes. But are we going to see lives changed and things different? Yes. So God doesn't say, hey, you're on this broad road and I changed your life. Now drop your friends. God says, hey, you're on this broad road road and I've changed your life. Now drop your habits and rescue your friends. Now drop the lifestyle and rescue them. Be bold and say, God has changed me and I love you. And you may not accept me. And the Bible even says that some will slander you because of the change that God has done in your life. They will not celebrate that. So we're not looking for a fan club. We're looking to be a difference maker. You got this? How many of you got this illustration? So I'm broad, I'm going with the flow. I'm narrow, I'm going against the flow. I'm coming in contact with Jesus and and, and the world and the enemy every single day. And sometimes the enemy doesn't like me. Sometimes people are going to reject me. But it's not you they're rejecting. It's what God has done in you, so therefore it's him. Matter of fact, I shouldn't put them in a position where they have to choose me or not. I should always give them the position of, Choose Jesus or not. Hey, I love you. Go with me. Are some going to shove you back? Yes. Are some going to talk about you? Yes. But I believe today we need a a church in the mindset of it's more than this. I mean, in all honesty, if I could get all the people in the church on the stage, it literally, we turn around and it's like, holy cow, that's a lot of people. And that's a very hard road to travel. But by the grace of God, go I. I am going to go through this and I'm going to be an influence. I'm going to make a difference. And, and if I can rescue one today, we'll rescue one. If we can rescue five today, we'll rescue five. If we rescue no one today, then we'll fight hell, feel like we've been beat up by hell on the other side, but we're still on the path that God wants us on going in the direction God wants us to go. How many of you understand this? God has not called us, y'all be seated, give him a hand. God has not called us to an easy lifestyle. He has not called us to an easy fight. I mean, I, I hate to say this today, but every day of your life that you have lived and every day that you will live is war. It's a battle. Am I right, Frida? It's a battle. Sometimes it's heartbreaking. Sometimes you see the enemy taking out your your loved ones. Sometimes you see him going after your children, your marriages, your homes, my marriage, my children. Life isn't easy. But God has called us to do something significant, every single one of us. The most significant thing you can do with your life is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your body, all your spirit, to love him with your mind, to give him everything. That's the most significant thing you can do. The second equally is most significant thing you can do is love your neighbor as yourself. To do unto others as you'd have them do to you to make sure that they receive the same grace you receive. To stop forgetting where we've come from. Stop forgetting how bad you've been, right? And how good God's been. Just because you're good now doesn't mean you've always been that way. 
Just because you got a little Jesus and a little shout on now doesn't mean that's how you've always been. I mean, sometimes I've had a little dirt on. Anybody else like that? Sometimes I've had a little antichrist mindset and, uh, and, and pro-Josh mindset. Anybody else like that? And in our lifetime, we've got to understand that we are battling not against the people you see, but against the, the, the angels of darkness, the demons, let's call them for what they are, that are trying to manipulate and destroy your life and the life of people around you. So last week we talked about Balaam, 70% of the people in attendance in the first service, because I wasn't here second service, had not heard the story. How many of you have heard the story of Daniel and the lions then? Raise your hand. Let's see that. All right, that's, that's most. How many of you have heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace? Raise your hand. All right, okay, so we're about 60%. How many of you have heard the story of when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got their names? Now we're down to about 10%. Let's hit that's where we're going today. Daniel chapter one. And in Daniel chapter one, we find we're during the third year. And I told him in the first service, I'm going to tell you again, um, I practice these names, but I'm going to butcher them. So you say them the way you want to say them. Is that okay? I'm going to be a little bit more free now that I'm not Facebook live. All right. So King Jehoiakim reigned in Judah. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. We stopped right here, and I want you to get this, and I want you to understand what a besiege is. How many of you are history nuts? Anybody in here love the history? All right, I know Norm does, all right? Okay, cool. Oh, it's good to see young people that love history. All right, here it is. When they would siege a town, what does that simply mean that they would do? They would surround it. They wouldn't take it, they would surround it. In other words, it's like, hey, here comes the, the Babylonian army and they, they, they surround Jerusalem, they surround Judah, and, they, and they, they've got it to where nothing's coming in and nothing's going out. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but I believe the enemy has America sieged right now. And beyond America sieged, I believe the enemy has the homes of America sieged, the schools of America sieged, and let's go further, the churches in America sieged. I believe the enemy has surrounded us and, and, and is really coming in for the kill. The Bible says in John chapter number 10 that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's it. There's no other thing that he's here for. He wants to ruin you. He wants to ruin your marriage. He wants to ruin a church. He wants to ruin a community. He wants to ruin our nation. A nation who used to be in God we trust is now a nation that declares himself no longer Christian. And so as we look at that, we see that besiegement coming and we rally around the fact that America needs to come back to Jesus, but we don't rally about the fact that our homes need to amplify him first. And besiegement doesn't mean defeat. Besiege means they're all around. And I'm going to tell you this right now, everywhere you go, the enemy has you surrounded. I mean, you go to, you go to the store and how many of you see things that you're just like, oh my goodness. How many of you witness advertisements throughout the week or hear things out of people's mouths or the radio that in your soul and in your spirit grieve you or scare you as a result of what you see happening? How many of you can say, yes, I see this on a daily basis? Yeah. Anybody else in here praying to God over the state of our youth and our children that they would not be captured by the ideals of the world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of God? How many of you are saying, we, 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 we have a fear? I have a fear. I mean, Andre and I walking out Wednesday night looked at us and said, can you imagine what our kids are going to be up against? Can you imagine 20 years when our kids are 30 years old and 40 years old, the battles they'll be fighting? 
You know, um, the indoctrinations that they're up against. And you're like, oh, you're anti this. No, I'm not. I said this in first service. We have about eight or nine or 10 public school teachers in our church. And, and we're not tearing down the public school. We're praying for those that are called into it to be bold in who they are and to be a living light shining where they are. Not to leave it, but to stand where God has called them, shining a light like Daniel and Mishael and Azariah stood in a place where, where they were not welcome where they were not supposed to be, but stood there because that's where God had them and God called them and they stood in their integrity and stood in what they believed and allowed God to use their lives. God has not called the church to run away from the world. He has called his church to go into the world and to tell the world about Jesus Christ. So it's not about, hey, let's abandon everything. It's about, hey, Christian, where you are, stand your ground. Don't be mean. Don't be hateful. Don't be judgmental. Don't condemn. Love them. But be a a shining light of who God is. Be different. I remember, and I talked to him about, y'all remember the prophet that's sitting down eating on the mountain, his his assistant standing there saying, how can you be so calm with this entire army surrounding us about to come up here and kill us? And the guy said, God, open his eyes so he can see. God opens his eyes. What did he see? Somebody tell me. Uh, Of whose army? Of God's army. I'm going to tell you this right now. The enemy may have America surrounded. The enemy may have the schools surrounded, the churches surrounded, the homes surrounded. But what the enemy doesn't realize, and maybe what you and I don't realize, is God has us. And while there may be an enemy that's coming after our children, and while there may be an enemy that's coming after our church, there is a living God with the forces of heaven, two-thirds to one-third, still outnumber them and definitely outpower them, that has put his angels in charge over you and me. And in between us and the enemy is a force of God ready to war and stand in our defense. The problem is, is when we get outside of the hedge of God's protection. Yeah, say, how do you do that? Ready, write these down. Ready, selfishness will get you there. Um, rebellion, still a form of selfishness. Matter of fact, everything to follow comes from selfishness. Your way, not God's way. And we asked them in the first service, um, how many of you uh, have ever been in a place where you felt like you were going to panic? You know, like all the world was coming down on you and you just didn't know what to do. And, and we, we kind of made a list, picked on them. I'm not going to pick on you. I said, what are the, some of the things you do when you're panicked and some people said, take a nap. The first person said, pray. So we got the Sunday school answer out of the way. But let's be honest. How many of you are so good about every time it goes wrong, you go to prayer? Anybody? Okay. I don't see a single hand. Mine's not up either. You notice that? Um, How many of you go to despair, like brokenheartedness very quickly? Anybody like that? And then we, we talked about it. Some people said they turned to sleep. Some people said they turned to food. Um, They panic, and and I I, I added to the list and said a lot of times when we panic, we just make impulsive decisions, decisions based on how we feel. Um, And so the decision based on how I feel right now might mean I'm going to yell at you because you're yelling at me. I'm going to leave you because when I get scared and things come around, I run. Who's my runners in here? Who runs? All right, anybody? Come on. Be honest, all five of you. Who hides? In other words, who isolates, who, who goes in the bathroom and shuts the door, who goes for the bedroom and locks it. Come on now, raise your hand. You're one or the other. I mean, or who freezes? Let's go there. Who just stands there just paralyzed in the face of, you know, panic will make you do some crazy things. Am I right? It'll put you in weird mindsets. It'll stress you out. It'll bring you down. Can you imagine? And the Bible goes on in the story and it says not only did they surround the town, 
But they went into the temple and they took the things that were sacred and they took those things that were sacred from the house of God, which the house of God today is not the same as it was then. Y'all got, y'all got 30 seconds for a little education thing here. You ready? I'm tired of people talking about this being the house of God. The only house of God that ever existed was the temple of God in his people when they went through the wilderness and into Jerusalem. And the reason that was the house of God is because Jesus hadn't died and there was no covering of sin. So only one person was allowed to stand in the presence of God and God would appear in a flame above the ark of the covenant and only the high priest could go in, meaning that the only place they could find God's presence was in the holy place of the temple. How many of you understand that? That's why in the Old Testament, it's called the house of God. In the New Testament, you and I are called the house of God. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your temple, which are his. They belong to him. You got it? So a lot of people, and I've heard this, and please forgive me, we're not this church. Uh, Matter of fact, I get onto parents more than I get onto kids, all right, because we're not the place that says you're not supposed to chew gum in the house of God. You're not supposed to run in the house of God. You're not supposed to talk in the house of God. You don't go to the bathroom in the middle of service in the house of God because I don't want our kids to think this is where God is. I want our kids to know this is where God is. It's personal and it goes everywhere I go. How many of you got it? Say got it. But in that day, the things that were in the temple mattered. They were ordered by God in Exodus. They were ordered in specific detail and for a specific purpose. You know why God went in great detail of the temple? Because he was showing how all the different parts signified him. In Ephesians 4, he converts it. And it's not the cup matters and the the bread offering and the altar of incense matters. It is every one of you matter and have been given uh, talents and abilities. And God wants to use them for his glory. In the Old Testament, he was setting an example of all these objects would bring us into a right relationship with God. Then Jesus died, veil ripped. And now in the New Testament church, it's all these people fit together doing what God wants to do will bring glory to God. It went from the object matters to you matter. And I'm glad today that I don't have to depend on an object. I can depend on God meeting with me personally and wanting to use my life where I am. And what a good day to be alive when you are in the grace of God, with a purpose of God, positioned by God for the glory of God. That's where we are. And so in this, when we read this story, and I didn't go into this in the first service, but you see that they take these objects and you're like, no big deal. Cause you don't go to the church the same way. You don't have to come with a goat. Now, I don't know what you called your husband or wife on the way here, but let's say this. It's not a literal goat. You don't have to come with a sacrifice. You don't have to drink from a specific cup, stand in a specific place, wait on instruction. You don't have to have somebody else go step into the presence of God for you because God, through Jesus Christ, stepped into your presence when he killed him and raised him from the dead. And now you, you, you got an idea, right? We're seeing this. Everything they believed in about being able to connect with God was stolen from them. And not only was it stolen, they took the things, this is good, they took the things that mattered about their being able to meet with God and put it in the house of their gods. They took the things that were sacred and put it in front of a false idol. Now, how many of you would agree that's heartbreaking? 
And I believe that's what Satan's doing with you and me today. Every single day, he takes our mindsets from the power and presence of God and who God is. Is it Andy? Yes. <laughs> hey, Andy, it's Josh again. How you doing, buddy? Sorry. If you were here a few weeks ago, you understand that. <laughs> but we are in a day and age where I'm going to tell you this right now, and I, I really don't apologize for that. Is that okay? Um, if, if there's 99 over here and one is there, what would Jesus do? And there, there's a reason why. I, I, I hang out with this guy since 7 a.m. this morning, and his phone never rings. And then middle of church twice. When he said it was Andy, I'm going for it. We're going to see Andy come to Jesus Christ. So y'all in agreement with that? We're going to see that. Amen. All right. If you're guests with us, you're like, these people are crazy. Hey, listen, listen. Every church you went to has crazy people in it. They just hide it. <laughs> we just out. All right. Like we, we just, we are just who we are. All right. Now listen to me. I want you to get this. There's four tactics we see that the enemy takes towards these people here. And then I think they're the same tactics that the enemy's taken against you. And he's taken against me. And one of the number one things that I think that we need to understood this is, is, is in this passage, and we're talking about it here, he takes them out of their home and they're calling. Now, we did not go into this analogy in the first service, so lean in. Those sacred things in the temple represent you. You are the vessel God wants to use to show himself to the world. How cool is that? Your story, no matter how dirty or clean it is, is a story God wants to use to prove himself. Does a clean story illustrate the goodness of God? Yes. Does a broken story illustrate the goodness of God? Yes. Do either have more importance or value? No. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you now, we want to stand in front of our kids we, on, on Monday nights and, and on and Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. We want to teach them the things that we have learned from God. But let's be real. The things that I have learned from God are more from my stupidity and God's grace meeting it than his word. His word came into those situations, but I was a rebellious person against his word. Any me twos in the place? And how many of you would say you learned a lot of things the hard way? Would you join with me in prayer that our kids don't have to learn the same? Yeah. 
And is it powerful to be able to go through your teenage life with your virginity? Yes. Is it powerful to be able to, to say, I never did drugs. I never was a drunkard. I never did those things. Yes. Is it powerful to be able to say, I'm being married to the same woman my entire life? Yes. Is it powerful to be able to say, I don't know what the world like that is like because I've experienced the grace of God and it's kept me from that. Yes. That's powerful. And let's be honest. It takes a little bit more dedication and a little bit more attention to God than I gave him in my youth. Anybody say yes to that? Is it powerful for somebody to have been almost dead, drug addict, shooting up, dead in the back seat of their car, sitting in church today, running a sound system because God sent people to your death scene and gave you life instead. And instead of being the person we had the funeral for because they OD'd, now you've been raised to life and you're being used by God. Is that powerful? Yes. Is one more powerful than the other? No. And the reality is, no matter what vessel you are, and the temple had tons, bowls, tables, altars, doors, veils, robes, so many different things. You know what they're saying? You know what God is saying here? And this is beautiful. When the enemy has come into your nation and your home, it's robbing what is valuable and keeping people from freedom. And that, I think, is happening right now in front of our eyes. Our people are under attack. My life is under attack. Anybody say me too? Yeah. And if we're not careful, we let the enemy take us away from our calling, away from our home, and we start serving other gods. I mean, look, look, and then what the Bible says, he says, he took them, the sacred objects, that's you. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his Small G. Uh, the church that is saved by Jesus Christ has way too many small G's in their life. And we say this all the time, and it's true. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. That's why I, I have a, a food problem right now. And, and, and I, I, you know, I don't want another week to go by that I can say that. But the thing is, is a lot of times, whatever it is that we're turning to, the first thing we go to when things get difficult is most of the time the God we worship. I just need this and I'll feel better. If somebody would give me this, I'd feel better. So the opinions of others might be your God. I just need a nap. Maybe you're escaping. Now, naps aren't a bad thing. All right. I just wish in kindergarten I would have taken much more advantage of them. Now, how many of you, if we examined ourselves right now, would say, there might be some gods in my life that don't need to be there. Would you slip your hand out? I'm going to raise my hand there. Yeah. You know what God, you know what enemy's done? He's taken you that's sacred. And he's put you in front of a God that'll fail you. That's not real. That'll destroy you. And I have been let down so many times by the gods that I've served. You know why? Because they're powerless to serve me. And we do not have a God that wants to lord as much as we have a God that wants to serve. And we sang it today. You were a healer then. You're a healer now. A savior then. A savior now. A provider then. A provider now. You heard us then. You hear us now. You're the, say it, same God. Never changing. 
And so today, I want you to examine yourself. Has the enemy taken your family under their other gods in front of you? Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. The enemy will take things that are okay for you to do and make them bad. Am I right? I mean, let's be honest. How many of us have been so busy with a sports schedule we didn't have any time for God? You know, our kids are, 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 are constantly batting or pitching or, or shooting or dribbling and, 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 and never sitting down and hearing the word of God. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm not saying those are bad. I love sports. That guy right there can launch a softball with a bat farther than anybody I've ever seen in my life. Richie can smack the tar out of a, 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 there's nothing wrong with it. And I enjoy, but you know, the thing is, is when it becomes the priority of my life and God becomes the second base, then there's a problem. Some of us are, 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 are putting all these other, what about work? Let's go there. You know, let's hit my, my God right now. Remember a couple of weeks ago when I had to stop in my sermon because I was so convicted about the amount of, I thought it's up to me to provide and, 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 and had to cut leads literally from the stage, had to leave the stage and go make some changes. Why is that? Because at some point of our lives, we feel like we are where we are because of us and we forgot that we are where we are by the grace and mercy of God today. Don't, don't fall for this tactic. The, the enemy wants to take you out of where you belong. He wants to overload you. I've learned this to be true. A lot of people come to us and say, my life is getting too busy. I have to give up my ministry. And I ask them, what ministry are you taking up? And this question and answer always scares me when they say, I don't know right now. I'm going to give it some time. God did not call you away. You're distracted. You say, well, what do you need to do? You need to actually go in your life and evaluate the things in your life that are getting in front of God. Because I promise you, God has called every one of us to minister in some way. It doesn't mean that we have to minister in a church. It just simply means that in our lives, there should be some type of ministry. I tell pastors when they'll talk to me, and I'll tell other people that are in high leadership positions at other places, that the number one thing you need to do in your life is get involved in a ministry where you volunteer and benefit nothing from it. Something that has nothing to do with your church. Go to another church, a neighboring church, and volunteer for one of their ministries. And when you're there, you're not wearing your shirt. You're not doing your thing. You're just serving God with the people that you're around. I oftentimes get looked at and say, why would you ever do that? Because it keeps you humble. Because if you're not careful in leadership or in business as an owner, everything you start to do, you're trying to do to grow you. And we are not in this world to grow us. We're in this world to grow him. And so I've got to put myself in places that I can grow him and not be focused on how do I grow my ministry because the moment it becomes my ministry, I forgot that it was his and never mind to begin with. And the ministry becomes a God. How many of you are with me? You understand this? So you need to, that's one of the reasons I'm in Mobile Lifehouse and I'm trying to do those things. Now, I'm not saying you got to be in that, but even when I want to quit, I got a little bit of conviction because it's the one avenue that I get outside of church walls, outside of me walls, and I actually can serve God just because I'm able to serve God, not because of I need to impress people or have people or people see that we're good. Matter of fact, I'll tell you this. If when people come to church, they see the vessels before they see God, we have created a cult. At some point, we've got to realize that every one of our lives is only on this earth so that we can point people to God. But the enemy wants to take you out of your sacred place and put you in front of an idol that'll fail you. How many of you understand this today? You getting this? I wish we were to preach it like this in the first service. you will seem a little bit more engaged. Number two, he's going to target your talents and abilities. All right, look at this. 
In the next verse, it says in, in, in verse number three, then king ordered Espinaz to his chief of staff to, to bring some of the palace young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Now, I want to emphasize this, and I want you to get this because I think we missed this in the church. Just because you're a part of the family of God does not mean that you can't be taken captive by the enemy. Look at what they're targeting. They're targeting people that are in the bloodline, people that are in the royalty. And I want, to know, I want you to hear this right now, and I want you to soak this in, that if you are saved and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, his royal blood flows through your veins. You are not an orphan, and you are not lost. You are adopted, your son, your daughter of the Most High. But just because you're son and daughter of the Most High doesn't mean that sometimes God's will for you is to be behind enemy lines. Sometimes God's will for you is to be taken to the places, the highways and hedges. Get this through your mind. Ready? Write it in your notes. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. How many of y'all knew that? Paul was Saul at first who murdered people that would say Jesus was the Son of God, but wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. For all of you who have been told, by the way, that you could never be anything, God used a murderer of Christians to convert people to Christianity, and then let him write two-thirds of the New Testament. Pretty sure you're okay if Paul was accepted. All right, you got that? So he writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Guess where from? Prison. Because when Paul was out of prison, he was busy. He was preaching. He was telling people about God. He was going town to town. He had to get locked up for preaching, by the way. Some of you are like, all right, I'm going to go sell a kilo, go to jail and write the Bible. That's not what we're talking about. He got locked up because he was telling people about Christ. But because he was locked up, he didn't let the circumstance of being behind enemy lines keep him from advancing the gospel. And now today, we're able to sit and learn the most we can learn about Jesus through a man who was willing to serve God even in jail. And so you say, my life is hard. Maybe right now the best devotional that's ever been written in Christianity is on the tip of your pen and in the depths of your brain. And because you are in a place where you can't go and do everything you want to do, you can sit and write and rescue a generation in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, rescue future generations to come. You say, well, I want my life to change. Stop waiting on life to change and be a change in the life that you have. And let God use you there. You say, well, I don't have the best marriage. Well, start writing right now everything you see that God is doing in your life day to day. As he recovers. And then one day you'll get to the chapter marriage restored. And all these chapters can become one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten things that you can do. Well, God's ministering to your husband and wife. How powerful could that be? Ways to believe. How many of you have seen the movie Fireproof? Has a little devotional fireproof based on a true story where a man actually wrote down the things that he was doing and saw God do a miracle. The truth is, is we've forgotten the promises of God and we see the evil of the world more than we see the faithfulness of him. We're misplaced. But beyond misplaced, we're targeted. Look at this. Verse number four, y'all still with me? I'm roasting. Can I take my shirt off again? Are you okay with that? Not 
not the undershirt. Some of you got big eyes. It's like, I would never do that. Last time I took off my shirt at church was to get washed off from uh, Bible school. Andre was out there with me, and he looked at me, and he goes, bro, Josh, you got a belly. So I ain't never doing that again, all right? Here it is. Listen. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. I'm going to make a bold statement here. If you are talented and gifted and you have abilities, which every one of you do, Satan's going to try to get you to use those for worthless things. Your, your, your talents and abilities are going to get targeted. I, I name-dropped a band this morning, ACDC, who one of the singers said he sold out his soul to the devil for fame. They wrote songs like, how many of you know it, Highway to, and, 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 and all these other things that were out there. But one of them said that the reason he was successful was because he sold his soul to the devil. What he was saying is, I want heaven on earth, thinking that hell was something totally different than it is. Only to find that hell is not glamorous at all. It's the erasing of identity forever. I know that in our lives sometimes that we come in contact with some of the most talented people and we look at them. I, I even watched it. You know, some of the people that I, I've seen get on American Idol who I knew had strong faith never even mentioned God. And it's like, where is what you believe? But you know what? The girl that stood on God went all the way to the very end. And it's like, hey, look, God is a sustainer. Not you, not you and my talents and abilities. But I, 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 I'll say this. If it, it, this is bold. Um, someone that likes to talk is either going to be one or two things. They're going to be an educator. And I'm not saying they're going to go be a teacher, but they're going to educate. They're going to build people's lives. They're going to be an edifier, somebody, an encourager, or they're going to be a gossip. And, and I think we see very easily in our world that some people have the ability that they can talk to anybody, and they use that ability to talk about everybody. You know, you know what I mean? And imagine if instead of talking about everybody, which tears down, they talked about Jesus, which builds up. Would you agree that that same person could be so powerful? In the kingdom of God, yes. What about the people that play instruments and people that, that sing? They can go out here and sing songs about love, but there is no love outside of God. I'm just going to be honest. God is love, and you'll never fully experience unconditional love till you sing him. I love music. I'm not preaching against music, but I'm simply saying this. I'm tired of the world getting our talent while the church has to hymn pick and, and, and do all these things. I'm thankful today that I get to share the stage with some pretty good musicians, and I think they're great, and they do a lot of good things. And if you ever came to our practice and saw how fast they can put a song together, you would think they're great too. And some of the things that they endure with our makeshift sound system, them, how Joe makes this sound good and Travis makes this sound good and, 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 and others come in here and do these things blows my mind because we don't have this $100,000 sound production, but we got people that treat it as if it is and give it their everything and they give us the sound that we got. I'm thankful for the people that are using their gifts for God, but you know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of losing our teenagers to the world and I'm tired of our college age going and serving the world and getting in these things and not taking God with them. I'm tired that there's only a 25% chance of your teenager staying in church after eight and a 75% chance of your going to church teenager dropping out of church after 18. You know why that is? It's because they are just a, no, it's because of us. You know what that statistic says? The 25% that stay in were given position and authority and ability to serve God at a young age. The 75% that bells out were never given a chance. And I'm telling you this right now, if Satan's going to target our children, we should too.
And we should say, here's your talent and ability. That's why at 5 p.m. every Monday night, we are now raising a youth team of instrumentalists and singers. After this service, we're, we're going with our children and we're teaching them music and dance and we're doing those things. You know why? Because music is something I enjoy. Now, I don't teach them the dance things at all because that's not something I can do. I can't even shake my leg in rhythm, all right? So the thing is, is there's no Elvis coming out of this, all right? But the thing that you got to understand is like, is dance something that can be used for the Lord? Yeah, David did it in his presence. Is, is worship something that can be used? Yes. So I've got this little ability where I like music. I love music. I like arranging music. So you know what? Let's make sure that instead of being too busy to train children how to love music and use it for the Lord, that we take a little bit of our time and a little bit of our day to say, hey, Satan's going to come after their talents. Let's not let them go. Let's say you can use that for the Lord. We just sent Sophia back yesterday on an airplane back to her country. My heart is broken because I would know that girl could go very far here in the States with her talent and ability. I wanted to keep her. I tried to keep her. I talked to, to musicians. I talked to radio hosts in Nashville. I did everything I could to try to get her to stay, but I fell very short because when I went to her and asked her if she wanted to, she said no. I had everything I could do, but she wanted to go home, and rightfully so. She misses her family. She misses her culture. But in the American dream, we're like, let's put you into our dream. But in God's plan, it's like, let's train you and send you back. Let's give you an opportunity for you to come out of your shell so that when you go back, and this needs to be our prayer for that girl, that when she's back in her country, she's just as bold there as she was last Sunday standing right here. That she's just as gifted and, 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 and using that ability and using the things that God gave her. I told her, I said, don't take our culture back, but take what God laid on your heart back and make a difference in your country. I would love for us to get to heaven one day and see Sophia walk in with thousands of people that she reached with her talent and ability. So Satan looks at him and says, let's go get. That's what Nebuchadnezzar actually symbolizes in the Bible, by the way. Satan, let's go get their talent and ability. Let's go get them from the bloodline of royalty. And then let's make them. Look at that very last sentence. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. You know what he's saying? Change them. I think that's what the enemy is trying to do in America to our children. He's trying to make it to where educators that do not know your kid has more of a right to tell your kids what gender they are and what they are than you do at home. And he's trying to make it to where they can go in here and they can be told that they're this and told that they're that. We've had these conversations and, and I know a lot of times that these conversations only come out in the gay and lesbian and trans mindset. But, but we have laid down and allowed ourselves to just allow evolution to become the main belief system and science to become the main authority of people's life. Is there a place for science? Yes. Is there a development in science? Yes. But is the creative power of human life in the hands of science? No, it is in the hands of God. And to discredit who God is, is to remove a baseline foundation, a belief system for the rest of their lives. And I'm going to tell you this right now. If you and I struggle with the very first verse of the Bible, we're going to struggle with the rest. The 
that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if we're forgetting to go back to these fundamentals and we're forgetting to go back and teach these and, and they're having years of education, anti God's in control. God's the way you are. God's the reason you are this. I, I'm telling you this right now. Our battle is not whether you're male or female. Our battle is not whether you're, you're, you're gay or you're straight. Our battle is, do you know God? And are you going to believe God? Because the attack against God doesn't start in the book of Exodus and on. It starts in the very first line of the Bible. That's what Satan's going after. Because if he can take them away from the very first verse, then he can get them away from the rest. And when we come back, we need to say, hey, God is the creator of life. God is the giver of ability. God is the reason we're here. God is the reason that as a little child, you wanted to be what you wanted to be. You know, I was sitting in the bedroom with my daughter the other day and, and playing with her. And, and I asked her, what do you want to be? And here's my three-year-old spitting out these things. And in my mind, I just, I, I prayed, God, don't ever let me become the distraction to whatever it is you planted in her. I share it all the time. At six years old, I used to get my Care Bears out, set them around in a circle and teach them. I know that's not the manliest thing to say. But that's what I did. And then as I became a worker, I chased anything that would make money. You know, at 15, I got tired of wearing shoes with holes in them and underwear that had somebody else's streaks. That's not a lie. That was real. And, and it would just get handed down and handed down. And I wanted my own thing. So you know what I started chasing? I chased never being made fun of again for what I wore to school. So I spent my entire 15-year-old summer as a labor hand for a contractor. And every nasty job he didn't want to do, I did. For $8 an hour, and I thought I was living. I remember going to school uh, the week before school to Aeropostale. How many of y'all remember that? I don't know. Is that store still around? I went to Aeropostale, and I, I bought all new clothes to go to school that year. And the very first day, I walked in very proud of what I wore and got made fun of for what I was wearing. Because it wasn't the, the brand of everybody else. I remember buying my first pair of basketball shoes so that they weren't hand-me-downs that actually had grip on the floor, and they were British Knights. Y'all remember those? All right, you got them at Walmart. All right, represent. My very first practice in those was in a college gym, and we were in the college locker room changing, and they made fun of me for my British Knights. And you know what? I just developed a habit of I was not going to get made fun of. I was not going to get put down. And you know what I actually developed the habit of? The worship of what people think. You know what I have found in my life? They never think highly enough of you to ever fulfill you. But you'll give them all your attention, all your thought, all your mental, all your, all your emotional abilities. You'll lay out at them. You'll try to impress. I used to study, study, study to get the perfect sermon. And now I just study because I'm imperfect and need a perfect God. And sermons are born. They're not created. I'm not good enough to come up with stuff like this. If you knew my education and you looked at my portfolio and my transcripts from college, you would see that he was a drunk in college. There's, there's a lot of D's, a lot of F's. Drunken failure was everywhere. I don't have the education to do this, but I do know this. I know who I am without him, and I know who I am with him, and I'm thankful that God makes me what I never thought I could be, and he wants to do the same for you, and I'm tired of the world getting your abilities and your talents when God has given them to you so that others can see him through you. Colossians 3, verse 17, says this. 
I get snotty in the second service. I don't know why. It says, in everything that we do, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, to him, to God, through the Father. King James says, whether it's in word or deed, do everything. What are you good at? I mean, you're good at something. What do you enjoy? You enjoy something. How can you use it for the glory of God instead of letting the enemy take it? Y'all got time for two more? The third thing he does is he tries to change your identity. Teach him the language and the literature. I want him to speak like us, and I want him to believe like us. Isn't that the enemy's tactic? Let's make you like the world. Look at the next verse, verse number seven. The, the, the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mashiel was called Mishan, uh, Meshach. And Azariah was called Abandaga. You know, most of the church knows them by their worldly identity and does not know them by their true identity. You know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to call you failure. He wants to call you divorce. He wants to call you bankruptcy. He wants to call you addict. He wants to call you the thing, the label that the world believes you are. Cheater, liar, thief, murderer, destroyer of whatever. That's the identity that the world has for you. That's the identity that the enemy wants to put on you. And he wants you to carry that the rest of your life. Someone told me this week, you own your shame. And it's so true. We walk around in the identities of where we've been and what we've done. We walk around with the identities of where the world has taken us and drug us to. Hey, we've learned the literature of the world. We've learned the lifestyle of the world. We learn the language of the world because we've been in there and we smell like it, look like it, and act like it. And we think that because we've been there, that's who we are. But God does not see us for what the world has labeled us. God sees us as he designed us before the beginning of time. And you in the mind of God, are still under the names of God instead of the name and identity of the world. That's why I believe when you get to heaven, you get the original identity God intended for you to have. That's why you get a white stone with a new name. It's not going to be Josh Moore in heaven. It's going to be what God always saw me to be. What God named me, not my parents. And I'm so thankful for that. That I won't walk around eternity and be like, is that that pastor? Is that that man? But instead, I'll walk around eternity just like you with an identity that says, I belong here. What would happen in our lives if we would realize Shadrach, Meshach, Amanigo, Belshazzar, that's not who you are. You're still Daniel. You're still Hananiah. You're still Mishael. You're still Azariah. They renamed them. I, I'm going to skip down real quick for sake of time. And, and you see that at the end of 10 days, these men, when, when, when they're named again in the scripture later on in this chapter, you see that God still calls them by name, especially there towards the end of verse number 19. The king told them and no one impressed them as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Why? Because they changed their names, they changed their tongues, they changed their identities, but they could not change who they were because these men, the they, they were going to stay who God 
created him to be. Even if the world wants him to look one way, even if their vessel had been taken from the temple and put in front of another God, they were going to stay in their identity and they were recognized as so and they were honored as so. I'm telling you now, Satan is after your identity. He wants to make you feel like a failure and a loser, but God is after your original identity and he wants to make you valuable. He wants you to know that he knows the good works that he's planned for you long before the foundations of the world were laid. Those works were laid to glorify God and God has not given up on what he wants to do in your life. You may be powerful enough to change your plans, but you are not powerful enough to change God's plans. You are powerful enough to change your mind, but you are not powerful enough to change God's mind. And when God decided what he had for you was what he had for you, no matter how you live or what you do, he will chase you the rest of your life to try to bring you back to the identity of what he created you to be. And our kids right now don't know who they are. If you don't believe that, work with our teenagers. I I told them I'm so stinking proud of these 14 that are graduating. Some of them were here that have graduated before, that have gone and done things with their lives. And this doesn't represent all of them. But never before in the history of our youth group have we graduated so many. Yeah, I I know we've had a few, you know, uh, Norm and and, and Frida's daughters have succeeded very well in the things that they have set out to. Others of your kids have done the same. But literally every single one of our graduates are leaving our youth group with a trajectory of where they believe God is calling them. Some are joining the military. Some are going back to countries. Some are going into health-filled and work-filled colleges. Some are going straight to the workplace. But if you were to sit down and say, what are you going to do? You would get an answer from almost all of them. And for the first time ever we're stepping back and realizing, and I said this in the first service, let's proclaim it again. God has done something in the youth group at Grace Community Church, and we're thankful for it. Two of our girls are going to go spend the entire summer working with other kids. They're giving up their entire summer. You know what we hope is that we keep telling the kids who they are in Jesus so that when they get to adulthood, when they get to be a mom, a dad, a husband, and a wife, they don't have to ask each other who they are. They can lean on God and know who they are because God has declared it. They have pursued it. They have believed it. And now they're standing on a firm foundation. The enemy's after your identities. And lastly, in verse number four, I'm sorry, number four, it says this. In verse number five, the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would be entering the royal service. The enemy will try to nourish you with the food and custom of his will, not God's. But verse number eight is the game changer, and it's where we'll close. But Daniel determined he would not defile himself by eating the food that was given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission to eat, not eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. I'm I'm not going to get into rabbit trails here. I want to so bad. I'm going to tell you this right now. God will position the people around you to support the stand you're going to take. And if you think if I take this stand, I'm going to lose my job, you'd you'd be so surprised how God will tenderize somebody else's heart to do his will. God had tenderized the heart of the enemy towards these men to give them the opportunity to prove the power of God in their lives. And he's doing the same for you and me. They had respect for him. Verse 10, but he responded, I'm afraid the Lord King who has ordered that you eat of the fruit and wine. If, if, if you become pale 
And then compared to the other youth, I'm afraid that the king will have me beheaded. But Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Hazariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. You know what, you know what I love about this? You know the symbolism I love here? Vegetables and water. You know what that is? The things that God created. Now, I'm not saying this is how you should eat. I'm not calling you out to be vegetarian. Because God told Peter, he brought down all these animals and said, anything I've made, you can have. But I want you to understand the symbolism here. That's why you got to read the Bible with the symbolism of how this applies to me. Daniel said, test us. We're going to only rely on God. That's literally what he's saying. For 10 days, we're going to only rely on God. Vegetables and water. God created thing, not man-made thing. And at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating what the world has made. And that test our mindset against theirs. Test where we are against where they are. We've relied on God. They've relied on the king. We've relied on his truth and his promise and his principles. They've relied on what was available. Test us and see who we are at the end. Can make your decision in the light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. What's the symbolism in our life? Trusting God and standing on his word, relying on him and obeying him, you will come out better every single time than everybody else who's doing it the world's way. Parenting through God, you'll parent better. You'll come out better than those that are doing it the world's way. Marriage through God, you'll come out better. Sticking it out, not running, you'll come out better. Doing what God has said, you'll come out better. The truth is this. What are you eating right now that's nourishing your mind? What are you feeding on? Opinions of others, projections of others, what other people think you should be, or are you nourishing on the things of God? Because the things of God do not fail. Those that do the will of God abide, what's the word? Forever. But why? The foolish are not so. A wise man builds his house on what? A rock. When the rains come, it stands. A foolish man on the sand. You know what it's saying? God's way or the world's way. You get to choose. But Daniel said, let us be this, and we'll come out stronger on the other side. I don't know where you are in your faith, and I don't know where you are in your life. But I promise you, if you do it God's way, you're going to come out better on the other side, no matter how hard it is, better on the other side than those who took an easy route. There's five things that you'll find. I'm going to give them to you in Bible study. Verse number 15 says that God gave them supernatural strength. Verse number 17 says they got uh, supernatural wisdom and knowledge. Verse 17b, the second part of that verse, says that they got a a, a supernatural ability to interpret dreams. Verse number 18 through 20 says that they actually became more able than everybody else, that when the king would test them, anytime he would test them, they were 10 times more capable than anybody else. And number five is in 19b, they were brought into the royal service. They served in the palace. I don't know about you, But in my life right now, I could really use some strength. Anybody say me too? Anybody else got a lot of decisions that they don't know how to make? Anybody say me too? I could use some wisdom and knowledge. What about God? Just give me the ability to see you in a dark world. What about that? I could use some supernatural ability. 
But by God, His grace, I'm going to go into heaven working in the royal service. In the palace of Him. I want to, like Paul say, I fought the fight, I finished the faith, the race. I kept my faith. Now there is laid up for me heaven. You know what I can, let's paraphrase it. I have in heaven what I never had on earth. But if I'd have had it on earth, it had only been for a time. But now that I got it in heaven, it's forever. I want to go out in the service of my God. Die serving him. Give my life and every breath and every ounce that I have left, making him known and seeing people saved. Is there anybody else saying me too to that? Bow your heads and close your eyes. How many of you felt like God gave you something today? In some area, shape, form of your life. Slip your hand up in the air. How many of you, God gave you something today? Something applicable. I want you to keep your hand in the air and I want you to pray this prayer. God, with your help, help me to put in action the things that you have shown me today. Help me to remember your truth and lean in and stand on your promises. In darkness and in light, May I be consistently yours for the world to see you in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. Grab somebody's hand. Let's close in a word of prayer.